0: I'm Will Hansen and welcome to the Experts in the Room podcast, brought to you by Extreme Push. In this series, we chat to some of the leading minds working in the customer experience, retention, and data space in some of the most competitive and fastest growing industries in the world. In this episode, Influencer Marketing, I spoke to co-founder of the GOAT agency, Nick Cook. Nick is one of the pioneers of influencer and micro-influencer marketing and leads one of the best agencies in the business. We head down some fun and winding rabbit holes as we uncover some of the best ways for brands to unlock social channels, the do's and don'ts of influencer marketing, and the challenges and opportunities of running one of the fastest growing agencies in the world. This is a cracker, so strap yourselves in. Super excited here today to be joined um, by Nick Cook, uh, co-founder of The Goat Agency, one of the premier, or might I say, the best um, (laughs) influencer and social media agencies getting around at the moment. Um, I know you guys are the fourth fastest growing global agency in the world at the moment. I think that was an award from Adweek and uh, one of the social media agencies of the year with the drum. So, Nick, I'm hugely excited about today and having you on board chatting to us um, on the podcast experts in the room. So, very welcome.
1: Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, I, I think today is going to be really insightful given um, the types of clients that we work with here at Extreme Push, um, particularly heavy in the sports betting and gaming industry. Um, I know you guys service that industry, um, but obviously e-commerce publishing, um, a lot of luxury brands as well in there. So uh, hopefully we can dig into some real, real pieces of wisdom from you guys on your on your experience running um, such a vibrant agency in such an interesting area. Um Maybe as a way to kick it off, uh, if you give us a little bit of a brief introduction to yourself, you're the co-founder of the agency, um, I think 2015, that you guys kicked off uh, with this idea um, for the GOAT agency that came about very much uh, in a different way than, than most ideas come about. So yeah, it'd be awesome to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, I suppose the history of the business is we were born out of a brand actually. So I've got two business partners, Aaron and Harry. Um And we all met working for Aaron's previous business, which was uh, called Sport Lobster, like a sports social media platform. Um, And Harry and I joined as sort of the fifth and sixth employees. And uh, it was unbelievable. We basically had three years of trying to build the next Facebook uh, for sport. And uh, Aaron and his business partner raised quite a lot of money. And basically, I ran the marketing team. And my job was to drive app installs and build a community on the platform um, and I joined as an unpaid intern, actually, so I had very little experience. I didn't oh, really good. know what I was doing, um, and our investors were big sports fans, so lots of the money was sort of wasted on sponsorship deals. We, did a, <laughs> we were a sponsor of Crystal Palace Football Club and the NBA and amazing experience not, not for me. to say
0: nick to all our crystal palace fans here that that's a that's a wasted investment but um of uh, course yeah, not sure. of course
1: <laughs> not but did, did it drive a huge volume of installs no <laughs> um, but i did get to go to the box every week which is quite fun okay. um but yeah essentially it was um i was put in charge of building this community and lots of what we did didn't work and lots did um but i sort of started to understand performance marketing really and um in the end, a lot of our budget was going through digital and social channels, but we kind of stumbled across influencers by mistake, um, and we had lots of sort of celebrity talent ambassadors. The main one was Cristiano Ronaldo, who was and is the most followed man yep. or, or person on the planet on social media, and we thought that was going to be unbelievable. He'd post about us; it would, you know, crash the app and uh, we'd all retire. <laughs> and it turned out it really wasn't that effective. And at the same time, we started, this is sort of 10 years ago, around 2012, started identifying these sort of micro-influencers in the sports space. So they might only have 10,000 followers, they might have 100,000. At that point, it was all Twitter and Facebook based. And we just started paying them for posts and putting trackable links to our app in the content and seeing if it worked. And what we discovered was that Ronaldo had 180 million followers and he might drive 3,000 app installs when he posted and someone with 50,000 followers, if they were the right influencer and most didn't work, but if they were the right influencer with the right community and the right creative message, it might drive 4,000. So um, that, that was sort of the basis of why we exist. We kind of realized that if we used influencers in the correct way, uh, it became our most effective performance channel. And we realized there were thousands of these influencers and they were springing up all over the place so in 2015, we left that business to start go to basically run performance influencer campaigns, uh, it, it, as you say, initially in the, the sports space, um, which meant we worked with lots of betting and gaming companies.
0: I, I think it's, it, it's an amazing story about th- that transition. And part of the trends that, that we hear in the industry um, as marketers at the moment, particularly in the sports industry, is that intersection between, you know, community, experience um and, and driving that with your with your player base or your customer base. Um so I think that, you know, the, the brands that are winning there are the ones that are either showing that community, being a publisher, you know, driving that engagement. I think the the whole idea of driving that through kind of influences and, and um obviously um micro influences is hugely relevant um to some of the brands. So hopefully we can dig into some tips around best practices with that. I'm sure best practices ring goat agency to everyone listening to the call. Um, <laughs> I know you, you mentioned there the word performance marketing. Um, as a channel, uh, I think that that's probably not something that is is picked up on by most brands. I think most marketers would still consider um, influencer work and paid work within that space to probably be more of a media channel rather than, or a PR channel, sorry, rather than being kind of a performance channel. It, to, talk to me about the challenge that, you've had around that and and how how important it is to kind of view these channels as performance channels.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And even now, you know, we've been going seven, eight years, and even now pretty much all of our clients are still trying to juggle where influencer sits within their business. Is it PR? Is it content? Is it media? Um, And often internally at these brands, there's still a lot of sort of conflict around that because – Most like the ultimately the reason influencer is works is that it sort of combines that content creation with the media value. And so, we work with a lot of companies who don't have to use models and actors and you know have these incredibly expensive production shoots to create content. And at the same time, it should drive a competitive CPM. Um, I think that creates an opportunity if you are able to use influencers to drive a good CPM or cost per engagement or cost per click. Um, I think that's the hard bit though. I think when we started the business, influencer marketing didn't really exist. So we've sort of, to be honest, made it up as we've gone. Uh, We've sort of spearheaded an industry that didn't exist. Um, But from the word go, because we came from a brand and we had a limited budget, and I was called into the CEO's office and he'd say, how many installs have we got this month? We had to be really... Performance focused and track everything from, you know, how much are we paying this guy, what kind of cost per click, what kind of cost per install, what kind of cost per acquisition. We were too early stage to look at things like lifetime value, but um, because we were forced to look at it in that way, we collected a huge amount of data uh, across every influencer we used, even before we started the agency. So that I think really is why we've grown quicker than everyone else, because when we were then working with brands, we were able to in advance, know what we were going to deliver. Um, And so we basically, we built a sort of piece of software that has enabled us to guarantee results going into campaigns. So we see it as both content creation and media, but the way we, from a commercial point of view, we guarantee a set of media results. And ultimately, our aim when we work with brands is can we outperform every other media channel in a very trackable way and therefore uh you know more of their media mix is going to go into influencer and social and then we're going to grow so it's all it's very outcome focused but in order to do that and position yourself as media you need all the data so uh i think a lot of influencer agencies you know the pop up all over the place yeah. but a lot of them aren't, aren't focusing on collecting that data at the beginning but there's a huge barrier to entry because you can't just start and have seven years data if that makes sense
0: yeah i i think that's um Hugely interesting. One of the one of the things that we talk to CRM managers and, and data managers or even CMOs and digital marketing managers about a lot is how they're conceptualising and understanding their own data when they're talking about their campaigning, um, whether it's acquisition at the top of the funnel um, or whether it's retention uh, in the CRM space, uh, which we play in. And I, th- I think the brands that have a good grasp of that are the ones that are succeeding. The brands that are trying to get a grasp of it are the ones that are going to succeed and the brands that kind of, are, are too focused on vanity metrics or not focused enough um, and are a bit too scattergun are the ones that struggle. I think um, your point there around being able to um, replicate it and scale it quickly, I can't help but as a sales guy kind of ask that question of as around the competitive advantage that you guys have as an agency because of that data set. Like you've just touched on it there. How difficult is it to kind of stack it up against Um, obviously competing interests within a business that might own some of their social channels might be dabbling in it themselves or trying to do that? are you finding that people are coming on board and and using it as complementary channels or are they using it completely as their main kind of channel focus, particularly around that acquisition piece? I know installs and and CPMs and CPAs will be hugely important to you guys um, as a measuring stick. But yeah, maybe talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I think... um I guess a good way of framing this conversation is who our clients are. And normally yeah. they fit within two buckets. So one is kind of, you know, uh, the biggest businesses in the world, enterprise size global businesses, where they're not necessarily trying to track um, a, a CPA in the way that a betting company would. Yeah. Um, they are trying to track ROAS or sales, but often it's through, you know, MMM models, because if you're working for Dell and their budgets, $100 million, it's, uh, and, you know, we're running $10 billion of influencer activity, it's it, it's it's not like people buy a laptop immediately when they see a link and it's trackable yeah. in the way downloading a betting app
0: is. Or, or, or an Audi. I see that you guys obviously have a really nice case study with them on your website. So same yeah, exactly. Like
1: cars are the <laughs> ultimate example, right? It's like – but if even when you're working with a big automotive company, the marketing director is still saying, how are we tracking sales? And so, yeah, you, you, you do have to title back one way or another. Um, but the other type of client is a sort of D to C business who maybe they've raised their series a and you know, they're incredibly focused on down funnel objectives. You know, what is the CPC? How is it converting to ROAS? And actually the way normally it works is that they've tried a load of channels with kind of small test budgets and they've, they've often tried influencer before and they just haven't been able to prove it out as an acquisition channel. Um, what we essentially have done is create a way of using influencers that is an additional channel on top of what they're doing. So, normally, they're going to already have a, you know, social should be a big channel for them. Yeah. And they're probably running paid media through their own brand channel. And it's probably converting really well. What we do is basically layer on influencer, both organic influencer and then paid media through the influencer channels. And as long as we're working closely with them, Um, we shouldn't be bidding against the same audiences and driving prices up. So in answer to your question, it is basically an additional channel that should be scalable, but also help them access new audiences and new audience data um, that that either we or someone else can retarget and push down funnel. Um, I think the only other thing there is that we've sort of transitioned from being an influencer agency into a full service social agency so in an ideal world, we'd actually then be also doing the, the paid yeah. media through the brand channel and creating all the organic social content as well. That's when it works best.
0: Uh, I, was, I was about to ask about that that niche role that you guys obviously sit in, but it's a it's a wider niche than just talking about um, obviously influencers. Um it, it's that it's that full social perspective. How hard has it been as an agency to keep and, and as a leader within the agency to keep ahead of trends, particularly with technology, right? So you mentioned earlier in the chat there um, Twitter and, and Facebook or Meta were the, the original channels that you've looked at. Since then you've had other channels come on board, TikTok obviously being probably the biggest one in the influence, influencer space. And I know we're using the word influencer. And I, I was at a chat with TikTok earlier in the year saying we do not call them influencers, they're creators. Creators, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that, an interesting one with that. They are very vehement about that, so uh, always stuck in my mind that. Um, and I know their platform particularly, like they've struggled to prove exactly what you're talking about, data sets behind what's actually happening um, with with raw data for performance teams to be able to do that. They're getting better at that, I think. Um, it's what they're, what they're pushing for as a performance channel when they were originally kind of pitching themselves much more as kind of a, a branding channel. So how hard has it been for you guys to kind of adapt, um, start to gather data sets and kind of really drive that product adoption? Um, or do you find that one or the other is a better channel still, or is it is it kind of case by case and influencer by influencer, I would presume?
1: Yeah, and it changes all the time is the truth. I think we need to stay on top of it because, again, that's that that's how you gain competitive advantage. Um but I think our model again to go back to why our model is unique and useful is that we don't manage any influencers ourselves. Yeah. So a lot of influencer agencies are really a talent management companies, or they, or even social media publishers like Lad Bible, for example. And if you're if you're a publisher and you've grown a huge Facebook channel that is your business, and suddenly no one's using Facebook anymore, then you know you drop off a cliff. Um, if you're a talent management company and you manage a load of influencers who are huge on Instagram, and suddenly people aren't using Instagram, then again, you're exposed. So um, we're neutral, which helps. We can just pick and choose based on what's going on in the market. I think what we've seen is that TikTok, uh, this normally does happen when new platforms emerge. TikTok had audience, but they didn't have, uh, they hadn't had the time to build out their ad platform. So brands wanted to advertise on TikTok because the algorithm meant that organic content can just fly and you can you know, get 40 million views without any followers, which was unique. But at the same time, you didn't have any demographic information. And if you spent money through ads, then you had no idea really what the results were. So what they've been doing is both growing their audience, but also building out their ad platform, which it's now got to the point where you can A, track everything, but B, actually drive great conversion across the full funnel um, so i think for the platforms it's audience is the key but then you know what we're seeing as well on other platforms at the moment is that the value you get as an advertiser with paid media varies enormously so there's a huge conversation around twitter at the moment like elon yeah. musk has bought twitter he's you know saying the audiences are increasing but he's also moaning that people like brands like apple have stopped advertising so it's about the balance between, you know, the money going through Twitter by, from brands has always been far below meta and now TikTok because trickier to make content engaging and just the, the ad platform and the algorithm means it's very difficult to prove out really competitive cost per clicks and return on ad spend. So it's, it's an interesting discussion. We basically just need to, again, have more Uh, data on what actually works and we can pivot accordingly
0: do you do you are there any uh platforms that we need to keep a lookout? um so the the nick tips for 2023 that you think (laughs) might be the the next tiktok or the next uh instagram um that's going to be pushing through or is it is it a case of the big boys at the moment are doing well and they're probably
1: the majority i think every year if you ask me that question i'd probably give you the name of a platform that didn't make it like <laughs> uh, a year it. ago, probably would be clubhouse yeah. or something. Um, be real is the, the one that, you know, has an increasingly big audience and is cutting through. But again, similarly, like, no brands are advertising on be real because they don't really have a platform to do it. So I imagine they're working on that in the background, but um yeah, I, I think pretty. It's basically impossible to predict which platform is is going to take off.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So be agnostic and be ready to pivot. I, I imagine. Yeah, exactly. Like you guys are talking about, yeah. um, consumers are, are hugely um, driven by by community and experience, and it's something that we talk about a lot um, here at Extreme Push around making sure that you're driving that community experience across the whole. Touch point of your brand, so from the top down to the bottom. When you've got a, got someone finally installed your app and they're starting to, or, or they're on your website and they're buying something, um, how do you guys envisage community and being able to uh, to drive that as an agency? So you're obviously a full service social agency. Like, is that the type of strategy that you guys are leaning into when you're when you're talking to brands around that, or are you or are you purely performance focused as well? Like, is there a big focus on brand?
1: Yeah, there's definitely both. Um, and, uh, you know, the, a lot of our clients who aren't in that kind of D2C space are looking for, uh, a co- they could be looking for a full awareness strategy. They could be looking to change brand perception. Um, so there is a lot of that work that we do. And I think Influencer is a great channel for that just because of the variety of content. Like we work with so many brands where the content is really product focused and yeah. just kind of boring and not engaging. So I think a lot of it is content driven um I think community is a really interesting word and I think what we always talk about is that social media is basically like the real world in that people live in communities on social like you would in the real world so if you're a, a Red Sox fan you probably follow 20 Red Sox pages if you're you know, a skateboarder or a new mum, then you might follow other new mums and you kind of live within these communities. And what influencer and social broadly has enabled brands to do is access those communities in a way that is kind of trackable and authentic. Um, So I think in terms of building a community around your brand, uh, the first step is sort of understanding what the communities on social are and then kind of accessing them. um because often we work brand the brief is always demographics it's always like you know we want these three audiences and you know often there's a name and it's like this is jenny and this is mark um and that's fine but what we then normally do is kind of layer over the actual communities those people live in and then dive into them um but yeah it's the way you measure the way we measure the, the sort of upper funnel activity is also completely different so you know, we use social listening tools, and we'll be focusing on CPMS and engagement rather than actual track track sales.
0: Yeah, no, it's super interesting. I, I'm actually stealing something from your from your LinkedIn account um, you, on the agency talking about um, looking at brands that are doing a really good job with data at the moment, as far as talking to their customers or their their listeners in a one to one basis. So, I just got my Spotify wrapped, um, which was interesting. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> apparently i'm not very good on spotify but uh, uh i can't remember what i was actually called as a demographic but i i think it's a really good example of a brand using the data that they have on their user and really simply coming back with something that is quite interesting you know i'm not the one not the type of person that's going to be posting up my um wrapped on on a, on a <laughs> website most of it is driven by by me listening to uh, to podcasts and to, and to different music. Uh, oh, that, the song that is embarrassing, get...
1: is that what we're taking? Yeah, yeah, this?
0: yeah, it could be too embarrassing. <laughs> so, um, but how important is that for you as an agency to maybe do that one-to-one with your customers talking about, look, look, these are the wrap-ups that we have um, with you guys for a year, like driving into that data? Like, do you find that that's useful? And do you think brands should be doing more of it?
1: Yeah, I think... Um... we we do it a lot for the the brands who we work with uh, in terms of using creative mechanics to engage their audience. Um, We don't do a huge amount with our clients. So the brands who are our clients, Um, it's more that's more around performance of, you know, how do we figure out what value we've driven you versus everything else you're spending your money. in. So it's a bit more of a kind of simple take, but in terms of the, the create it's interesting in the in this influencer and social space the significance put on creative i think differs massively depending on what you're trying to do and a lot of the the campaigns when we're building a strategy for a potential new client we kind of have to ask ourselves like how much do they care about results and how much do they care about the kind of creative mechanic because sometimes we've lost pitches because we we just build a deck showing that we believe we're the best partner for them and we're kind of the market leader and we can drive yeah. performance. And actually if you haven't really understood what's kind of important to them you can just get it completely wrong. So, so some clients don't care at all about results. They just want an idea that cuts through and they can go to their boss and say look we we did something on TikTok that drove UGC or whatever, you know.
0: That's probably a good segue actually. I'd love to I'd love to, you've been in the industry from, like, your company went from, I think, what, you five, five of you starting at or the original five or ten employees um, all the way up to, what, 190 now, I think, Nick?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. around that uh, now.
0: Yeah, spread globally around the world. Um, I know we, we'll touch on that in a moment about the challenges of scale within the business world side of it. Um, I'd love to hear about maybe some of the nuts and bolts of, some campaigns that you think have been really good and potentially challenging conversations that you've had to have where, where while you're starting the agency, it's maybe we've spent we've spent 5K of this budget and we're not 100% sure if it's worked. Like I think um, for some of the CRM and marketing people listening, knowing that they're in the same boat is probably yeah. really useful.
1: Yeah, well, there, there have been a few. Yeah. Um, you don't challenge- have to name names, <laughs> by the way. That's
0: fine. You don't have to throw any brands over you know us. Some,
1: some, I would love nothing more than to name names, but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the challenge for us, it, it being an influencer first agency, is that we rely on influencers um, uh, <laughs> and we rely on that the media we buy is mostly human beings. Essentially, as awful as yeah. that sounds, we're paying human beings who are very talented, often and have huge value. But they may also have an ego or they may just turn up late for a shoot or they may just, you know, I think the the advantage we have is that although we guarantee results and that is always a a cause of uh, stress because we always have to hit those. (laughs) um, For the most part, we were pretty accurate at at predicting what's going to happen. So the stress often is actually just influencers letting us down. Um, you might think it would actually be influencers being paid a certain amount and not delivering the media value we need. Um, But it's kind of a weird situation where we have more data on you as an influencer and what you can drive than you do. Um, Because you might say I'm $10,000 for an Instagram post and you probably understand how many impressions and engagements and maybe video views that's going to drive. But if we say, okay, let's do an Instagram story and we're going to use some paid media and put a trackable link in that, you actually have no idea. It's our trackable link. We've got all the conversion data around how many sales you've driven. So you actually never really have access to that information. So we'll pay you the money for your content and your platform. And then you have all the data on how many people see it, etc. But you have none of the kind of data beyond that. So in terms of kind of, Horror shows, it's not really about how much value you drive. It's more about are you actually going to post on time? Because client services in the influencer world is so focused around, you know, we've got this much content going live. This is the day it's going out. You know, maybe we've got a Thanksgiving campaign where it has to go out by a certain date. And we've told the client it's all going to go out by that date. And Maybe someone's ill or maybe someone's, you know, there are completely valid reasons like, you know, someone's pregnant or something. Yeah, But often there are just people that let you down. So the key thing for us is just understanding every time that happens, we make sure that there's a little cross against their name in our database so that we kind of know they're untrustworthy. <laughs> but, yeah, it can be a nightmare.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's so interesting compared to, you know, traditional media channels where it's – you know, programmatic, you, you're not being let down by a person. Like it's, it's out there. It's going to be happening. Um, you know, you're buying a banner on a publisher. It's, it's going to be there. It's your creative team that might let you down. Like if you were, if you were, like we talk about, um, what is it? Uh, uh, Valencia or whatever. Uh, what's the name of Valencia? The like it, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> like it shows you that things can still go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think the human element is so, so interesting in what you guys do. Um, very different probably to to 99% of the the marketers that are out there working in some of these channels day-to-day when they're not dealing with an influencer on the back end of it.
1: Yeah, I think the other interesting thing there that's different in our space is that we kind of have to rely on the influencers. We have to give them a lot of creative license. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. So you have to find a balance between letting them kind of run with it and also making sure we have some degree of control. So we do sign everything off, like no content will go live until we've approved it. But when we're briefing influencers, we give them a top-line brief, but we also say, you know your audience, you know, you you come back to us and tell you what you want to do, and often we won't change that. But when we approve it, we just have to make sure all the sort of legalities are are signed off.
0: Does it add a layer of complexity in that you are having to deal with two sets of relationships there, like you're dealing with a brand on one side and then you're dealing with the influencer on the other side. Like that in itself is a little bit different. Um, you might be dealing with an account manager at Meta or at TikTok or something like that, but it's, it's very much a transactional thing where you're, where you're dictating terms into those types of environments. Um, yeah. Does that add complexity to, as far as the skill sets that you need from an agency perspective um, in your teams?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the way we've done it is just completely separate roles from the okay. start. So a lot of agencies, even in our space, have, you know, you speak to like an account manager and they'll be the one dealing with the client, but then they'll also be the one dealing with influencers. And we've, our solution to that has always been completely separate the roles. So if you're an account manager, account director, you, you only speak to the client externally and then you sort of manage the internal team. So really you manage yeah. what we call our campaign team or paid media team who deal with influencers and buy paid media. You sort of lead that the team internally as a whole, uh, and then the campaign team deal with the actual influencers. But uh, they're on client calls, so they're hearing client feedback and things, but there's never a situation where an account manager is dealing with an influencer, which I think is important. And we always talk about a healthy friction. So if the account team and the campaign team, you know, there should be a slight kind of holding each other to account there. Um, yeah. which we try and actually encourage because otherwise the, the, the kind of standards across the, the team can quite easily sort of drop a little bit and then somebody goes out late and then two things go out late. So it's kind of about the account manager being quite um, uh, able to hold everyone else to account I think is really important and almost act like a client. That's often advice we give as well. So yeah. you know, if you've got a really tricky client, you kind of have to act like a tricky client internally.
0: Yeah, okay, interesting. I'm sure that leads to some really, really good conversations. Um, but, but as you say, it's probably driving that expertise within your business as well, um, creating that friction. That's that's probably a good good point to pivot into. Um, one of the the amazing things, obviously, talking to you and 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 looking at the profile of the company, like your growth in um, what less than ten years or t- or ten yeah less than ten years from five to 190. Um, COVID smack bang in the middle of it. Um, starting as a sports team and having to diversify into these global brands that you're talking about. be really cool to get a perspective maybe from you as a person, having gone from being a marketing manager and relatively in a smaller environment to having to be a co-founder and managing a team of 190, how the business has dealt with that change, um, what's been successful, maybe what's not, not been successful. So throwing the the founders and the entrepreneurial hat on, maybe talking about it from that perspective, I think would be really cool.
1: I think um, I think uh, it's it doesn't feel. I mean, it, it's happened very quickly, but it doesn't feel like it's happened overnight. If that makes sense, there, okay. there's still been a huge number of downs as well as ups, and you know, challenging conversations. And um, I think this is what we envisaged when we started it. But it is incredible to think that it's it sort of overall, it's kind of happened in the way we we thought it would. Mm-hmm. I think we've been very lucky with the market that we identified as something that would exist and would scale has done um, w- what we predicted. Um, and I can think of lots of things that we did wrong as well as right as we went. But I don't know that the challenge for me is, is always human beings. Like If I, if I kind of reflect on what it's like to effectively kind of, look after 190 human beings I think that's always the hard bit it's if someone isn't quite doing as well as you you want how can you get to get the balance right between upskilling supporting and also holding to account and kind of being ruthless where you need to be um or just someone doing something really stupid or unprofessional and like how do you how do you call that out well you know I'm, I'm very much a people pleaser so my challenge is always you know, I want people to like me, but that's obviously not very easy. Uh, but I think the other thing is myself and my two co-founders are incredibly different people and we're all completely different characters with different skill sets. And I think that's also been really important to, to understand that from an early stage. And I guess the fact we'd all work together for each other. So I reported into Aaron and Harry reported into me at the previous business, which I think is very unusual dynamic to then start a company together. Um, so we knew each other's strengths and weaknesses, but we also weren't friends, and we're st- we're still not, you know, friends. Friends, we're professional friends, but um, and you know, we'll hang out outside of work to a degree. But I think that separation has been really uh, helpful, actually.
0: Yeah, that, 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 it's it's so interesting, and I know. Obviously, in prep to this call, we, we obviously do a bit of back and forth. Your investment round and the due diligence that came with that gave you guys a real shot in the arm. In that, in that your product is good. Um, it is it does what it says on the box, and it's excellent at it. Like, was that was that something that you guys were obviously as a founder, you you were you would have been nervous about it. Um, but deep down, I'm sure you knew that it was going to pass with flying colors. But how is that positioning you and and the goat agency to move? into the future, like what what's on the horizon for you guys, I guess, is that's a bit of a double question, that one, um, and maybe something you can talk to. So we
1: did a, a deal with a private equity house um, at the start of 2021, um, which was a, a sort of unexpected but um, quite big moment uh, for us. And I guess our focus has always been, been just growing and making sure that revenues and profits are growing year on year and we're – becoming more and more of a leader in the space as well as diversifying. Um, And so that transaction came a little bit out of nowhere and um, we felt like they were the right partner to help us scale to the the next level. And obviously as part of doing a deal like that, suddenly you're into quite um, extensive due diligence, which uh, we kind of done to a degree before, but not to the same extent. And I think it was a big education for me, um, there's so many different layers to it. But I guess the tech part was something we were aware of, but not concerned about because we we have an amazing engineering team and we know the product works. And we're not an external tech company. So we're not a software company. We just have a tool we've built, which is an internal tool that helps us use all the data. Our value really is the data, but we also have a tool that helps us access the data. So We weren't concerned about it going in. I think just going through a full tech DD process and hearing back from consultants who specialize in this and sort of analyzing you from a critical point of view and hearing that actually our product is incredibly robust. And yes, we can make some tweaks, but um, overall it it sort of does what it says on the tin was uh, I think a big validation for everyone and actually has helped us double down on it and put more resource into it and realize the value of it. And we don't we don't want to change up you know, if we changed our positioning and said we're now a software company and you can license our, our software, I'm sure our multiple on valuation would be very good. But our focus isn't that, our focus is on being profitable and growing our revenues year over year. But yeah, that that was that whole DD process was great because you come out the other end of it and you think, okay, that and we did the whole thing in five weeks as well. <laughs> um, which is, is very Don't unusual. Think I've ever
0: spoken to a to a founder and entrepreneur that goes, oh, no, we had a good six months to do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but we had a clear deadline. We, we wanted to do it by, and inflection and, and all of the people involved were great at doing that. But, yeah, that basically has given us another boost of confidence to be like, okay, we, we can kind of take this to the next
0: level now. Yeah, a, a really good position to be in. Um, I want to do – one that I didn't prep before Nick uh, on this uh, so bear with me I want to go a one word answer to things that I throw out to you here um, you'll see where this goes quite quickly um, really? but just to get your get your opinion on on what might be coming so our 2023 predictions um, we've mentioned a whole lot of different brands here a whole lot of different partners that you guys work with um, but maybe a one word answer on a few of these so I'll start with an easy one for you meta
1: you want me to say one word
0: yeah one word so you can say you can say the best or you know within within reason one word or you can give um, me a spiel i don't mind
1: i'll say client <laughs>
0: <Okay.
1: Safe. laughs> well, T- so they are they are a client as well as a platform for us so Excellent. i need to be a bit careful there <laughs> yeah okay
0: uh, what about um TikTok as a channel
1: um uh conversion i would say
0: podcasting Relevant for today?
1: Uh, (laughs) If you say uh,
0: overrated, my marketing manager will shoot me. (laughs) I'll say everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) What about Twitter?
1: I'll say not
0: dead. Instagram then?
1: I'll say video.
0: Um, What about your favourite influencer? I hope you pick one that's on your on, on your platform or on your offering. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I would have said uh, Francis Bourgeois a few months ago, but um, he is doing some cool stuff still. Um, I think you've got to say Mr. Beast just because people aren't aware of Mr. Beast. You've got to go and see what he's doing. He's spearheading the, the whole industry in a way that is very cool.
0: Okay, we'll have to look into that. I don't know that one. I do know um, Francois, though, his, his content. <laughs> At first, I was like, what am I watching? Um, but then it gets quite addictive. But, yeah. What about uh, let's go with the last prediction for the sports fans on here, World Cup winner, and this will probably be published after the World Cup. Um, so, I want to be able to hold you to it whether you've got it and you Ooh, might not even be a football fan. I don't know. Is it coming on? England.
1: Um Well, I do hope Australia keep keep, keep going strong. Um my prediction, though, I think, is probably France.
0: Yeah, I think a safe prediction. Um, we have filmed this the day after the Australians, uh, the soccerers had a miraculous win over the Danish, so um, yeah. we've done well with that. Um, yeah. Nick Cook from the Goat Agency, absolute pleasure talking to you today um, on the Experts in the Room podcast for anyone that is looking to explore this channel um the influencer channel uh you obviously know who to go to now um, with nick and the goat agency um playing hugely in this space and obviously being a market leader within it i think plenty of our brands here at extreme push that we work with talk to us constantly about these types of channels and 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 what they're doing and how it then feeds into their retention strategies um so nick huge pleasure um from from us here at Extreme Push and on the podcast for joining us today.
1: Thanks very much. I loved it. Appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Thanks, mate.